0: Plans to renovate or tear down historic buildings in Indiana have sparked controversy in recent weeks. Groups like Indiana Landmarks advocate for restoring historic structures to their original state, saying they're an invaluable piece of history. Developers often argue tearing them down and making room for new development or renovating the buildings to fit the needs of the 21st century would do more good. I'm State Impact Indiana reporter Rachel Morello, and today on Noon Edition, we'll speak with guests about finding the balance between preservation and economic development. And we invite you to join the conversation after this hour's news.
1: Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. Publichealth.indiana.edu.
0: Hello, and welcome to Noon Edition. I'm State Impact Indiana education reporter Rachel Morello, in today for Bob Zaltzberg. I'm here with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael, and today we're talking about Indiana's historic landmarks and finding the balance between preserving these structures and making room for new developments. We're joined in the studio by four guests today. Tina Connor is the Executive Vice President of Indiana Landmarks. Trinity Hart is the Development Manager for Daylin Realty Property Management and Development. Nancy Heistand is the Program Manager for the City of Bloomington Housing and Neighborhood Development, and Steve Wyatt is the Executive Director of Bloomington Restoration, so welcome to all of you. Um, Thank you all for joining, and if you're listening and would like to join the conversation into today, give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also join our live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition, or tweet us at Noon Edition. Welcome, it's nice to we haven't worked together before. Welcome to Noon Edition. Thanks, this will be great. Yeah. So um, I just kinda wanna go down the line and have each of you sort of describe what you do and how, you know, why you're here as a guest, I guess. So we'll start with you, Tina.
2: Well, uh, I'm Tina Connor from Indiana Landmarks. We are a statewide, non-profit, private preservation organization, and we try to save buildings all over the state. And to use preservation as a hook for economic revitalization of neighborhoods, downtowns. Um, we've worked quite a lot with BRI, who Steve's on the show today, over many, many years. And we just recently announced our annual 10 Most Endangered list, which has a building not too far from here in Bedford, the old Elks Lodge, uh, and and others of all all stripes, all kinds. But we think each of them has the potential to be restored and be productive, and in fact, cause a kind of ripple effect of preservation and revitalization around it.
0: And Trinity, what about you?
3: Uh, Trinity Hart with Dalen Realty. Uh, we developed both historic properties and new construction, mostly in historic areas, so infill. And um, I, I would say I'm probably, well, most definitely, um, a little bit of um, a, a different kind of development background because I have a master's degree in historic preservation. Most developers don't have any background in historic pr- preservation. So um, that's, you know, always in the forefront of our mind.
1: And where do you do most of your
3: developments? What area? In Indianapolis. Okay, thanks. We're just branching out um, to Lafayette this fall. So...
2: Very cool. Maybe and Bloomington
4: will be next. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, Nancy Heaston. I've been staffed to the Local Historic Preservation Commission for the last 17 years. Uh, I'm also staffed to the Bloomington Urban Enterprise uh, Association, and uh, in that capacity we do um, grants for facades downtown and within the zone. Um, I, I would contest the, the premise here today that um, – Historic preservation it does not enhance economic development for on a couple of counts. One, the the Main Street program that we have here, and also the BUEAs program, which has brought an awful lot of work to contractors here in Bloomington, as well as just the security that historic districts bring to um, urban neighborhoods. Um, we've discovered that uh, large new construction projects usually bring in contractors from out of town, large contractors from out of town, whereas if you're repairing or restoring properties, we're usually using local labor. So those are some of the facets that I think um, we can say that historic preservation is a very local way to do economic development.
5: I'm Steve Wyatt from Bloomington Restorations, and uh, we're a local not-for-profit historic (laughs) preservation group doing what Indiana, Landmark, Indiana Landmarks does on a statewide basis, here on a local basis, uh, we're membership-based. We're kind of like the animal shelter for old buildings. to try to <laughs> find the strays and get people who will care for them and love them and get them fixed back up and, and, and make them uh, happy homes or buildings again. Um, we um, run an affordable housing program, too. We've done about 30 houses now where we've uh, taken rundown or buildings that are going to be demolished, buildings, houses, and restored them for first-time lower-income home buyers. Some
1: of those you actually moved from one location to yes, another. Yes,
5: yeah, about, probably about a dozen times now we have actually moved houses that were gonna to be torn down for, for development um, and uh, have managed to fit them into neighborhoods and, in vacant lots that strengthen the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Vacant so, lots in a neighborhood like having, you know, a smile with missing teeth that doesn't look good. <laughs> it doesn't work well for the neighborhood and it really strengthens the neighborhood when it is uh, filled up with houses that fit in with the character and style of the neighborhood.
2: It's also a very green thing to do. Right, keep Mm -hmm. them out of the landfills.
5: We also do a home tour every October too, so that'll be coming up.
2: Tina,
1: what are some of the projects that you're most proud of that your organization has participated in?
2: Well, lots of folks here in Bloomington know about the West Baden Springs Hotel, so I, I would have to put that at the top of the list as a supremely important building that was in dreadful condition. We had one developer say, um, that we should call it a ruin and let people crawl on it. Uh, and I'm glad we didn't do that, and I'm glad we convinced the cooks to um, see it our way <laughs> as well. And, and, and they ended up, of course, restoring it and um, making it quite the economic engine for uh, an entire region, the, the two historic hotels in French Lake and West Baden. Uh, right now, we're restoring the Greyhound Station in Evansville, which um, is this very cool art Moderne uh, 2 toned blue building that people in downtown Evansville love. And um, the outside restoration is nearly complete. We're getting ready to put the neon running dog back at, on the pylon sign. Um, and we'll have an ice cream social in June to celebrate when we flip the lights on. And we're trying to attract a restaurant or a brew pub to that building because we think downtown Evansville needs that kind of um, magnet for um, downtown businesses and people passing on the Riverwalk. It'll it'll give the downtown uh, a jolt that it needs. On the other hand, we listed the McCurdy Hotel in downtown Evansville on our ten most endangered list. Every every city of that size has a really great elegant old mm-hmm. hotel and some are gone but some have been repurposed. The Marat in Indianapolis is an um, apartment building now and we think the McCurdy has great potential either to be revived as a hotel or or for another use but it's, it's coming to the end of the line if we can't figure mean- out it.
0: Sorry, you mentioned that 10 Most Endangered like list. Can you talk a little bit more about that and sort of maybe what buildings are included on that this year? Okay. Uh, we announce
2: it every year in May, which, as Steve said, is National Preservation Month.
0: And the buildings
2: are of all different types uh, across the state. Um, we have actually two Oddfellows Lodge buildings this, this year, the... Um, or uh, not fells lo- lodge buildings. As, as you are probably aware, people don't join the way they used mm-hmm. to. These organizations were so influential at an earlier time, but in this age of bowling alone, um, people aren't joining. And so these buildings, which are really beautiful and elegant and often c- kind of anchors in a community, are going vacant. And um, one, the Elks Lodge in Bedford is a great Renaissance Revival building that's on the list this year. And then there is an entire block of buildings in Huntington, that two of which are um, Oddfellows buildings. Oh, wow. So we think they're eminently reusable. Um, so we just have to find the right combination. Yeah, they um, tend to be built like as sturdy as anything that's ever been built well well built and well engineered Uh, although when they've been vacant a while or when the group has been shrinking very often there's a pretty sizable deferred maintenance Mm -hmm. ticket that um, needs to be addressed Mm -hmm. urgently Mm -hmm. and that's why they're on our list camp chesterfield is a very quirky place Um, it's the one of the few remaining camps spiritualist camps. Spiritualists believe in um, uh, that you can contact the deceased and that um, life never ends in that way and so they, they got great boosts after each war because people are looking to connect with deceased members of their families And um, but right now it's a shrinking group and it has a camp near Anderson that is just unusual and cool mm-hmm. and um, has buildings from every era, from about the 1890s through the 50s, mm-hmm. um, and cottages that some are just so charming, mm-hmm. but you have to be a spiritualist to buy a cottage. So a lot of those are <laughs> vacant. And mm-hmm. so we're trying to help that group figure out how to preserve what they have. and. Um, and the ownership structure makes it tough. So hmm. that'll that'll take us a while, but we think we can crack it. The Medical History Museum in Indianapolis is on the list. The old pathology building at Central State Hospital. Um, it's It has such an unusual collection, uh, and it's so original, um, but it's kind of out of the way, so people don't find it, and it has some pretty serious capital needs uh, right now. So some of those collections are going to be jeopardized if we can't Managed to fix the foundation and the roof pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- those are just some of the buildings on the list.
0: Okay. Has that list in the past brought about any kind of awareness for buildings that are at risk? Talk a little bit about how you know people it has, have adjusted. and it. Steve can
2: respond to one that I'll mention. Um, of the of the uh, 106 buildings that have appeared on that list since we started it in '91, we've only lost 13. And oh, wow. considering that these are buildings in extreme jeopardy often very run down. Um, it's pretty amazing that we've only lost 13. Um, many of those, I would say the majority have been restored. The Quartermaster Depot in Jeffersonville was a wreck and very historic place. And now it's the city hall for the city of Jeffersonville and, and other um, other uses as well. Maple Grove Road Historic District was on our 10 most listed at one time. And um, I think the the victory there, it, partly because of de- development pressure uh, and because of the deterioration of some of the dry stone walls and the mm-hmm. features that define that area northwest of um, downtown Bloomington. Um, but getting it uh, factored into the comprehensive plan was really what we were after, getting people to recognize that it is a valuable and distinctive place. And I think we achieved that and Steve mm-hmm. can
1: talk sure. more
6: yeah,
2: about. I think you're right. Yeah. Trinity, um, what are some of
1: kind of your highlights as far as projects in which you've been involved? Um in,
3: in terms of preservation? Yeah. Well, I think probably one of the, the best examples in the Fountain Square area is the Murphy Art Center. Um, Craig von Dalen and a partner owned that and when they took it over, there was no there were people residing in the building, but there was no lease of any kind to speak of. Um, and it was mostly vacant. Um, and really turning that building around and getting, I mean, it's 100% occupied and there's a waiting list of people um, that want to go in there. That was a real turning point for Fountain Square um, and really kind of showcasing what that neighborhood was. and. Is today now.
1: Are those retail spaces or how is that being used? There are retail spaces on the
3: first floor. Um, There's three restaurants. uh, Heartland Films is in there and um, a couple other music venues and uh, shops. And then upstairs is mostly offices and artist studios. Great.
1: Well, Nancy, nothing's happened in Bloomington that has to do with historic preservation unless you've had your hands on it. You, you have been uh, such a driving force behind this and, and done so much to preserve important structures in Bloomington. So, thank first of all, thank you for that. Uh, I don't envy you in your job, <laughs> Nancy. Um, uh, gets a lot of uh, pushback on occasion. So, what are you most proud of? I mean, you've been involved in everything.
4: Um. I'm proud of our uh, neighborhood programming and how flexible we've been uh, towards different kinds of neighborhoods, ones with high architectural value like Elm Heights um, that has over uh, 200 uh, structures that are are protected, and then areas that are just nice older neighborhoods like McDowell and Greater Prospect Hill, Mm -hmm. where we've uh, had to work with the neighborhood to, to develop design guidelines that aren't punitive um, where we can ensure some level of affordability and people who can age in place and still meet our guidelines. So I'm really proud of that, um, proud of our relationship to those neighborhoods. Uh, and also the BUEA program um, that has been going since 2005. And initially it was just $10,000 grants we were giving to um mainly smaller businessmen downtown. I mean, we had CFC starting, jump-starting downtown with the South Side of the Square project, but it really didn't connect for a long time with the average guy who was running a, a store on the square. So, in, in since that initial uh, grant in 2005, we've given away about $375,000 and we've done 27 projects. And we, we really got to reach out to the small guy who maybe doesn't understand a lot about historic preservation, but knew that it was the right thing for the square. And I hope that we've built a lot of good feeling there because we, we will be going forward with the possibility of designating the square in the next several months.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh,
4: our city council has asked the commission to consider designation of the square. And in 2005, we thought, let's do it with incentives rather than regulations. And I think we were pretty successful there. So hopefully um, the downtown will trust us enough to go forward with um, some some guidance in the future, some insurance that will have that great resource, our, our square, in the future.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Indianapolis just designated Monument Circle fairly recently, which I think a lot of people would be shocked yeah. to think that it it only happened recently.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Steve, you've also been involved in so many projects in Bloomington. What are what are you what do you think of what comes to the top of your list of of things that you're proud of?
5: I'm just proud of the work we've done in neighborhoods. Really, that's the, the biggest thing. Uh, just to be able to take houses that would be demolished or, or mm-hmm. to be changed in ways that would cause them not to look historic anymore. And we've been able to to get involved and, and really make a difference in in house after house, neighborhood after neighborhood, uh, and not just in Bloomington, but in Steinsville and a little bit in Ellisville, too.
1: Great homes for families. That's that's a lot to be proud of.
5: Yeah, yeah. And we we also you know work with uh, you know the, the city on, on projects. Uh, the city has been wonderful, and the state too as as partners in in, in our affordable housing programs, um, and. Um, and the university has been really a good partner lately, too. Uh, it's, it's amazing what they've done in university courts with the five houses on the and Fiji site, uh, moving those five houses. I think a lot of people would never have imagined that that could happen, that those houses would be saved. And they've done not just those high-profile saves, but they've also been involved uh, kind of uh, in uh, underneath the radar in fixing up other houses in the neighborhood there uh, that had long been vacant and that they were putting money in to uh, reuse so it's, it's, it's good work they're doing
1: yeah has the push toward greater sustainability and uh, you know everywhere um, freed up any additional funds for the kind of work that you do I mean I know you mentioned you um, Tina, that lots of your projects are, you know, pretty big ticket items to restore, repurpose, due to the deferred maintenance. Have you seen uh, a trend in more funds available, either federally or privately?
2: Not really. No. That's uh, not good. I was hoping uh, to hear the I, other. <laughs> we're still coming out of the recession, I think, in in the world of real estate. So that may not be surprising. Um, we have a. Um, A house in South Bend that we are restoring, it's called Vintage Green, and we're trying to do it to convince people that preservation isn't only for the wealthy and Mm -hmm. only high ticket and that it can be very um, conscious of sustainability both in the products that are used and um, the way the house is engineered to be energy efficient. Mm
1: As a private developer, is it harder to get financing for a redevelopment project than for, say, new construction?
3: Well, of course, it all depends on the project. But one thing I will go back to your last question to Tina um, Section 42 tax credits, which are affordable housing tax credits, federal money um, given by each state. Um, and so each state has, you know, different qualifying. Uh, patterns for them. And I would say that the past two years, so every year or every two years I come out with new guidelines, but the past two years really there was a push for using
2: existing
3: existing buildings. Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't always mean historic, that doesn't always mean historic neighborhoods, but Mm -hmm. existing buildings. And a lot of times it is historic. Um, So that's one area that I would say, but At the same time, they're very, very competitive and very difficult to get. Um, And then going back to your question, again, I I have to say it depends on the project. Mm -hmm. Um, The the main thing, of course, is what the financials are going to look like. Um, It depends, you know, on a historic building, there is the issue that it can be a lot more expensive to save that structure um, you know there I'm not saying always, but I would say generally speaking, um, now sometimes it's really worth it, and we always try to do that and and like someone said already you know it's the right thing to do a lot of times
6: mm-hmm.
2: what we've had success with lately um, are not grants and bank financing, but fundraising. Mm. People recognize and value a place, and they want to help save it. And that was the case in in Evansville, where the Owen Block, this great Second Empire-style row house, very unusual structure, was really dilapidated. No, No developer thought they could make it work. And so what we had to do was raise money to hand to a developer to say, okay, this fills the gap. Now you can do it. And a group formed in Evansville called the block. They called themselves the Blockheads. <laughs> they held fundraisers and they helped us raise the money that we needed to give to a developer. And now it's being restored. So, well, that,
1: that that relates directly to a question that came in on Twitter. It says, "Does Indiana Landmarks make funds available available for homeowners who want to restore significantly? I'm sorry, historically significant homes."
2: We do not have enough money to be a bank for homeowners. Um, uh-huh. or a grant source. We give grants to groups like Bloomington Restorations and loans, and sometimes those are passed through to uh, individuals in, in some communities where you have a strong uh, partner like BRI.
4: I, I believe there is a homeowner tax credit if your the, property is—
2: The state
4: well, in the last session that. Well, I stand corrected. That. They did.
2: They did, and <laughs> we're hoping to fix that. But— um, <laughs> Yes, unfortunately, that ta- that homeowner tax credit was zeroed out in the last session.
5: Thank you. I didn't know that. Oh, my. That. Well, to answer your question too about preservation and and funding, mm-hmm. I find that these days preservation has become really mainstream. People love to live in old buildings. Mm-hmm. They like to work in old buildings, play in old buildings. Uh, so, that's really driving a lot of uh, revitalization of old neighborhoods and old buildings. Uh, so it's it's not difficult like it used to be, I think, for historic of preservationists to, to win a lot of battles. Because nowadays they're really, uh, it's, it's, the playing field is, is, is level, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, and you can see it, I know in my work in Bloomington, I see it all the time with buildings that uh, used to be vacant and being revitalized. And it, mm-hmm. it gets to the point now that they're becoming you know valuable. And we're lucky here that we have enough stock of these buildings and enough um, in a variety of sizes, that they're still affordable for people in, in a lot of ways.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: Should we go to break? Yeah, I think that sounds like a good thing. Um, Before we go, you're listening to Noon Edition on WFIU, and we want to hear your questions and comments for our guests, so give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us a tweet at Noon Edition or join our live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. We'll be right back.
7: This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from IU School of Public Health, Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org.
0: Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Rachel Morello here with Mary Catherine Carmichael, and we have four guests in studio with us today to talk about historic preservation and the balance that kind of try to find with that with economic development. We've got Tina Connor, who's the executive vice president of Indiana Landmarks. Trinity Hart, the development manager for Dayland Realty Property Management and Development. Nancy Heestand is a Program Manager for City of Bloomington Housing and Neighborhood Development, and Steve Wyatt is the Executive Director of Bloomington Restorations. Before, um, when we kind of took that break earlier, and Nancy, you mentioned this too in your comments, um, we talked a little bit about that balance between the preservation and economic development and kind of how the two things work together, so does anybody maybe want to talk about that a little bit? Well, I, I think I can talk a little bit about the Tech Park and um, uh
4: like Steve, I've noticed that there, that historic preservation is being embraced more by average people—people people I wouldn't expect to be enthusiasts—and in the tech park, I've, what I've seen is that the theme of having the showers buildings mm-hmm. um, linked together um, with in de- their design is something that they perceive as a real asset, even though they're gonna have separate businesses and each mm-hmm. building will have its own function. They feel like it's all working together to create a, a site that has um, a, a real public presence that it wouldn't have if it were new construction. Um, and I'm really heartened to see that. I, I In my experience, I haven't seen that much. Mm-hmm. So I think that we've turned a corner in Bloomington about seeing preservation as not threatening, but perhaps a resource that we can use.
1: You know, you mentioned showers, and that's such a great example in Bloomington of really great reuse of an existing building that had been through many incarnations since its time as a furniture factory and a storage warehouse. And and I I don't know if somebody else had been in there. And then what year? Let's see. What year was that redeveloped? Showers? 95. 95. And I think it's such a great example. But you know, you look up at the ceiling, which has that wonderful sawtooth design. But when you're in the building, the timbers that hold those uh, that ceiling up are just amazing, and something that could, that, you know, n- we no longer have access to. Um, those that, that old growth stuff just isn't available to us anymore, and it's just such a such a neat opportunity for the city to have our citizens in and out of that building every day. I just
0: love it. We have a caller. Yeah, so we've got Sarah from Bloomington. Um, Sarah's got a question about the availability of affordable housing, I believe. So Sarah, go ahead with your question.
6: Well, I was interested in, in knowing how much uh, you
4: do that results in affordable housing. I know about the Bethel AME Parsonage Project mm-hmm. that that certainly has, you know, made a, an unusable building now into a nice house for a family just just barely west of downtown. Is
6: there more of that kind of thing going on?
5: Well, yes. Um, with plumage Bloomington Restorations, we... Um, have several houses right now that we're. we have one available for sale we have uh, one more we're working on getting close to being finished and another one we have uh, we're planning the restoration of so uh, we do offer houses through that program that are typically in the core neighborhoods near downtown Um, and we offer them uh, they're usually two or three bedrooms and people have to meet income limits in order to be able to buy them so say for a single person household, it's around 35,000. For two people, it's around 40,000. Three people around 35,000, mm-hmm. or 45,000 and so on.
1: Steve, is, do you partner is, with, oh, go
6: ahead, Sarah. Is the Bethel Project the only one that's a, that ends up being a rental? Yes. Uh-huh.
5: Ours, ours are homeowner uh, projects. Okay.
6: Thank,
1: Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for your call. Steve, does BRI uh, partner with anybody like Habitat or other folks that are involved in, in finding housing for folks?
5: Well, we oftentimes have uh, worked with developers uh, who um, who wanted to develop a site, and they had a house that wasn't really part of a historic district, but mm-hmm. it was an older house. And we've worked with them, and they've given us a property to move, and they've they've given us what they would have paid a demolition costs. so in that way we do partner. Mm-hmm. But Habitat does new construction, so we don't really partner with them directly, although when they did a project that it had a old house on the site, we worked with them and a developer to to move the house a block away and and, and, and rehab it.
0: Yeah, yeah, great. I wanna go back to that question about balance, and I know, Trinity, you have kind of an interesting background in the fact that you work in development, but you have a degree in um, historic preservation. Can you talk a little bit about how those two work together and kind of what you do day to day? Well, kind of tying into
3: this affordability and how they go hand in hand, um, going back to the Fountain Square area um, and the preservation of the Fountain Square Theater Building and the Murphy Art Center um, really spawned the revitalization of that area. So much so that now we're actually working with the city of Indianapolis buying a piece of property. Um, It's a parking lot right now, has been for 50 or more years. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're doing a development project on that site. Um, It's the first new construction in Fountain Square in probably 60 to 80 Mm -hmm. years. Um, And we are getting tax abatement from the city, which allows us to be able to keep our rents down so that it is more affordable um, project. They are apartments, um, but so it's, it's fun to be able to, I mean, you know, preservation goes hand in hand with new construction all the time, because like we all know, there's parking lots that our parking lots, and they have been, oftentimes it was because something else was torn down, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, (laughs) but um, filling those gaps, filling that smile, um, as Steve said, and so being able to kind of work on both sides. The preservation part is important, but filling the gaps is important too.
1: Mm You know, um, when we talk about this, I I can't help but think about Nicole Curtis, who's a, got a show on HGTV. Perhaps you're familiar with it, and I she's kind of leading a a, a charge uh, to keep old homes out of the landfill, and she's a, um, quite an activist and um, quite vocal. And I wonder if you um, have champions like that uh, in your arenas who uh, are kind of out front and not only uh, championing, keeping these houses uh, and other structures uh, uh, standing, but also rolling up their sleeves and working at the
2: same time. Tina, would you start? Well, there's a a mother-daughter pair who are getting a new show. on, on HGTV. On HGTV, HGTV mm-hmm. and they work in Fountain Square, mm-hmm. where Dalen works quite a Two lot. Two chicks and a hammer. Two chicks and a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think there are lots of people who do that um, quietly on their own. And it, it, for them, it's um, a living, mm-hmm. you know, flipping houses. And, but they do it with old houses, and they do it in a sensitive way that maintains the character of the house because partly – because they know that if they're working in those areas where the property is gonna appreciate in value, they have to maintain the character of the house or it won't sell or it won't right. be an asset that mm-hmm. uh, will stand them in good financial stead for the next one. So it's so. really a win-win for them. Is, yeah. Yeah. yes.
4: Mm-hmm. Any, any other champions? Well, I, we, of course we have uh, the Sturbaum family. Yeah, Chris Sturbaum <laughs> and, <Bill. Right. laughs> um, and they helped revitalize Prospect Hill by purchasing the houses one at a time, mm-hmm. um, sometimes renting them to graduate students who then later bought them.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And that is being, I think, repeated in a couple other
5: neighborhoods. That's uh, a
1: pretty smart I'm, business plan if you think about it. It is. <laughs>
5: <laughs> um, at Jan Sorby. Uh, Jan Sorby and her husband, John Lawrence, are both really active and they're acquiring properties all the time and, and rehabbing them and they're great advocates too. If mm-hmm. there's ever an issue, about uh, involving a historic building, they're there to uh, you know just to, to, to speak for the preservation side, and, and Chris Durban too, as on the city council.
2: We're giving an award um, this month to we give in Central Indiana, the Angie's List Old House Rehab Award, and it's going to a couple who just got tired of looking at a wreck uh, <laughs> next door to them, and finally, they just bought it out of foreclosure and. Fixed it up, finished it about 90% of the way, uh, and sold it to a young couple who finished it the rest of the way. And I think that that it's the kind of Mm -hmm. one-by-one kind of activity. But if you do it with the right house in the right block in a neighborhood that's struggling, it really – makes a huge difference it starts a kind of ripple effect that
1: you know my impression of this is that it's it's a trend that's really picking up speed and gaining momentum at the same time um is that your feeling too that more and more people are embracing Absolutely. this sure. whole concept mm-hmm. well it's been millennials i
2: yeah. think mm-hmm. are very interested in places that have character and that are um uh, you know ha- have age to them and have mm-hmm. have uh Character have had previous lives, yeah. yeah,
4: yeah. yeah. And in Bloomington, uh, the, the BRI projects have been dispersed all over town, and I, I even had people calling up when they were gonna reinvest in their properties asking me what paint colors BRI had used down the block. Oh, neat. <laughs> so it, when, when they see what something can be, then they get excited, and that has helped. I've seen, it's slow, but I've seen it happen in McDowell and in, in Prospect Hill, and in, even in the near west side. So, those facade projects that we um, funded a, a few years back really did help because in each block you could see an example of what things could be.
1: you know I know that in some older neighborhoods it can be uh, there can be some conflict about Um, older homes being kind of remodeled, readapted for the way we live today. Talk about some of those struggles and I I know that's something you've done so much work with Nancy. Well,
4: we have uh, the older neighborhoods in Bloomington. uh, Many of them are working class neighborhoods. They have very small footprints. So you might have even 900 square feet or less up to about 1500 square feet. And in a sense, that's a very sustainable footprint. Mm -hmm. And the, the neighborhoods are very condensed. They're um, it's easy to walk to work and, and schools and things. And so they actually work as, as neighborhoods. Um, it is sometimes hard to defend because the lifestyles are directing people to live in 2,500 square foot houses. That's probably the smallest we see being developed today. So it it's the thoughtful person who says I'm going to have a sustainable footprint and I'm going to live in a small space. It might be a single woman, retired woman who who wants to live in a smaller house that's uh doesn't have the maintenance. But there's that push and pull between the the American dream. And I you know, watching HGTV, you see people going into these huge homes. So that is being promoted on one hand and then on the other hand we have um, an envelope here locally that's very much smaller and more modest but it, you know it's a lifestyle thing maybe mm-hmm. they're spending a little bit more on vacations than they are on overhead
2: <laughs> The so, tiny house movement mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. gaining momentum I yeah. think especially on the part of younger people who are very aware mm-hmm. of of limited resources and and they some of them would love a nine hundred square <laughs> foot house um, I think the inside the mm-hmm. inside is a a different matter. We do a, a mid-century modern tour every year. It altern- It was in Bloomington a couple of years ago. Alternates between Indianapolis and another city, and there are folks who uh, don't want to see anything changed on the inside of these Mad Men era houses, mm-hmm. and then there are others who think, "Oh, I love that Mad Men era house, but I really want." A better bathroom. <laughs> they really want a different kitchen. And so, you know, there are purists in the preservation movement who, who want to see everything preserved exactly as it was. And you certainly want to do that for really outstanding buildings. But then there are others who think um, sensitive adaptation to create the kind of um, kitchen and bath that people want to use keeps the entire building alive, and on to the next buyer and the next and the next.
1: You know, in a college community like Bloomington, we have a lot of people who want to take older properties and turn them into rentals. Uh, oftentimes, uh, the older properties are, are more um, affordable uh, to turn around and, and turn into a rental. Um, do the same standards, uh, well, I get, let me change that question. What kind of um Um, authority does the city have over um, interiors on um, historic homes in historic areas? Nancy? Um, The city commission
4: doesn't have any jurisdiction over use or um, any interior purview. Um, So they're just looking at the exterior of homes. Mm -hmm. We have seen uh, historically that the the homes that are in local historic districts generally stabilize. Um, People feel safer in reinvesting in those neighborhoods. So frequently there's a kind of general push towards home ownership and we're talking 20 or 30 years out but it's um, it gives people confidence that there won't be radical change in a neighborhood so mm-hmm. they' they're more confident in making a home that a family can live in over time.
2: Every time I come to Bloomington and I went to school here so I love it. I, I drive through the older neighborhoods, and I realize these places were built so well mm-hmm. to have withstood generations of <laughs> rental use. Generations. Mm-hmm. Um, if you take a house in the suburbs nowadays, you know, where the woodwork is stapled on, I don't think <laughs> they're going to last that long. Yeah, uh, These are great houses. Yeah.
1: Well, we have a caller let's um let's get to Derek who's calling from bloomington Hi, Derek Hi I was just wondering why there
6: there just seems to be a lack of diversity in housing, and I wonder if the historic commission is getting uh kind of afraid of contemporary architectural design and I got a feeling that if Frank Lloyd Wright designed a house here, he'd be run out of town on a rail uh, and and you have there's this philosophy of everybody building. I won't say has to look alike, but has to so-called borrow from the other, which means Bloomington downtown looks like just a bunch of big brick buildings. So I wondered if the people on the board were for a little more diversity in architecture and some more exciting designs that kind of awe and inspire rather than uh, become uh, mono, a monoculture.
4: well um I can't speak for my commission um, i I think I would agree that we we do have a pretty conservative look in in our districts um, but we also don't have um, a large expan of, of territory that we have districted so there there are certainly opportunities for more eclectic design and we've seen some of that in town um, i don't uh I, I guess I'd object in that we we do have a mid-century modern neighborhood. Uh, we have the first I think local historic district that has features mid-century modern homes. Um, so there there is a range of architecture that we're interested in. I think the concern of the commission is in having something over scale, um, something that draws attention away from the areas where historic significance is primary, um, by being a little bit out there and by by. You know, pulling your eyes to that site rather than to the historic character of the area that it protects. So I would agree that there is some conservatism, but um, there's adequate opportunity to build in in, uh, Bloomington with um, with newer design, an interesting design.
5: And I think also that uh, you have to remember that the Historic Preservation Commission at Bloomington doesn't review new construction proposals. So it's not that they're putting their stamp on what's being built when it comes to you know, larger apartment buildings downtown.
1: Right, and in Bloomington, uh, unlike, say, for example, Zionsville, I think, does not have uh, exterior design design um, Guidelines, or there, it doesn't. Uh, an exterior design doesn't go before uh, a commission, say, uh, for just plain um, attractiveness. Is that correct, Nancy? Uh, you mean an undesignated mm-hmm.
4: property? Um, we are sometimes given an opportunity to comment on something that's built directly adjacent to a historic property. It's an informal comment, and it usually goes to plan commission via a letter or just an informal comment. But in terms of um, construction in the greater downtown area, we we generally don't
5: comment. Right. The, the plan the, the plan commission and the plan department plan department have design rules right. part of the downtown plan. There are zoning they, rules that uh-huh. cover as, some aesthetics. Some
1: aesthetic. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Okay. thank yeah. you.
0: All right. Anything okay. else, Derek? Thanks. Thanks for your call. Okay. And we've got another caller from Bloomington. Let's bring in Jordan. Jordan, what's your question?
6: Hi, back to your Eyes' discussion about some of the older neighborhoods in Bloomington that millennials are filled with homes that millennials want to move into and kind of redecorate. Um, where are some of these older neighborhoods in Bloomington?
4: Um, Garden Hill, Greater Prospect Hill, mm-hmm. the Near West Side, Maple Heights, McDowell. And those are the more affordable neighborhoods, so I'll start with those. Elm Heights, um, Broadview. Uh, Broadview is also affordable. Um, So most of the the western part of uh, Bloomington um, actually has these smaller footprint houses that we've we've spoken about. Mm
6: -hmm. Um, Are there any houses that are popular along First Street? West First or
4: East First?
6: Um, Yeah, more along East First Street.
1: And what do you mean by popular?
6: Just as in popular for younger people moving into to get that vintage old home feel.
4: Uh, East First Street's rather complicated because I think there are a lot of rental properties um, towards Walnut. And then as you go farther east, it becomes very expensive. So there's been kind of a, uh, a, a market situation there that probably makes it very hard for younger people to get into right now.
6: Okay. Um, Thank you very much. Uh
1: Thanks, Jordan. We've got another call, this one from Spencer. Hi, Victor. Thanks for calling. Hi.
6: Hi. I wanted to mention the Tivoli Theater Project in Spencer that the, uh, that Cook uh, 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 the project had uh, stalled and took it over and and has literally uh, revitalized the downtown, and I think had a big impact on people even thinking about how to take the downtown further. That one project, uh, well placed, can have a terrific impact on a small community. Victor, so,
1: what's the Tivoli? Uh, what kind of activities are taking place in the Tivoli and Spencer these days?
6: Well, for uh, five dollars, you can see a theater that's. A first run, uh, a first run movie that's playing in Bloomington right now for probably what seven or eight bucks. The, the local uh, there's a theater group in town, and later this month uh, uh, they're putting on a play. Uh, I think they've had some music there as well. Uh, I'm not involved, but uh, it seems to have been the uh, The start of some things in the downtown square.
1: Well, that's fantastic.
6: Yeah, big impact. Uh, uh, And one single project taken on by Cook and that uh, uh, has a major impact on a community of 2,500. Yeah. Not very far away, obviously.
1: Right. Well, thanks for your call, Victor. It's a great point. Thank you. Yeah, Trinity, did you see this same type of thing happen in Fountain Square?
3: Absolutely, and I, it, it's interesting because obviously I'm not from Bloomington and I, every city is different, so I spoke about the new construction project that we're doing in Fountain Square, and that is a designated historic district, and that does have to go through the Historic Preservation Commission mm-hmm. in Indianapolis, and we have to get approval for everything. So even though it's new construction and it will be contemporary design, they have to sign off on it.
1: Mm -hmm. And Nancy and Steve, do you think the south side of the square is really what jump-started our whole turnaround?
4: Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Uh, that's, no one ever contests. And, and the Graham
5: Hotel.
1: Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. And the Graham, and then
4: and, and there were there were other early projects, the Cochrane House um, and the Illinois Central Train Station, mm-hmm. which kind of showed the way in terms of industrial redevelopment, and that's really become a theme in our in and our community. Those were all Cook projects. I know they? they are.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Not coincidentally. No. No. Yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot to to thank them for certainly.
0: I want to make sure we give our numbers one more time. Um, you can call us at 812 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also join our live chat at wfiu.org slash noonedition or tweet us at noonedition. All
1: right. What, um, when people who are not particularly um, involved in historic preservation, when you hear them talk about it, what do you think some of the uh, misperceptions are that people have? Um, You probably hear them every day, uh, the four of you, in in the, the work that you do.
2: One is that a building being on the national register is protected, it's not. It's purely honorific. And it is protective only if there is federal money involved uh-huh. in a project, like a road widening or something like that. Um, th- that's that's a primary one. Uh, they think that those buildings are taken care of somehow, mm. and they aren't. Um, another is that preservation is onerous. And as, as you said, th- y- y- you have to go before the Preservation Commission, but You know, if you live in a new subdivision with homeowner guide, you know, homeowner guidelines, Mm -hmm. they can be actually more restrictive Mm -hmm. than a city preservation, locally designated um, area. There's also a perception, I think, that um, that it will cost you more and that to live in an area like that. And we did a study years ago in all over the state, different neighborhoods and there are two neighborhoods in Indianapolis side by side, very similar hist- building stock, um, one National Register only district, one locally designated as well. And the property values were much higher in the locally designated district. So, you know, if you, if you want to invest in property and see it appreciate, um, that it's, it's. As as you said earlier, Nancy, it gives people around the, that that um, area confidence mm-hmm. uh, that if I invest in my in this house that's maybe far gone, I'm not going to lose my money. Right. Uh,
1: We're running short on time, but common misperceptions.
3: Um, one thing, it's a silly thing, but. Uh, it, the historical society of your community has nothing to do <laughs> with the preservation of buildings.
1: Oh, <laughs> Generally speaking, oh I wouldn't yeah. have thought of that. <laughs> okay. Nancy, what do you get? Um, I think
4: that people believe that the commission is this forbidding tribunal and they're sitting up on a dais and issuing edicts. And in fact, we sit around a table and we discuss plans and we're a working body and sometimes people come away with ideas they didn't have before. Mm-hmm. So um, I like the informality of our commission.
1: And you can attend those meetings, I've attended. Several, yeah, they're public yeah. meetings, Yeah, okay. twice a month. Steve?
5: I think those are all good points, and I think uh, by the same token with BRI, people sometimes think we're some kind of a secret society or something, we're just a bunch of people that care about old houses and old, old neighborhoods and old buildings, and we welcome people to be members and get involved.
1: And how would they do that?
5: Uh, They can go to our website. It's BloomingtonRestorations.org. And they can find all kinds of information about how to get involved and what we do.
0: Okay, great. I think that might be all we have time for. But thank you guys all for being here today. It was so interesting to hear your comments. And
1: And we need to apologize. There were a couple more phone calls that we just could not get to. They kind of came in at the last minute. So callers, we apologize. We didn't get to you today.
0: But you can uh, leave your comments online at WFIU.org slash Edition. And our producer, maybe some of our guests, will try to answer them. So um, thank you very much for everybody listening. I'm Rachel Morello, in for Bob Salzberg, alongside Mary Catherine Carmichael. Our engineer is Mike Pashkash, and our producer is Lacey Skarmana. Thanks for listening.
7: Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and The Herald Times.